0: What you're about to hear is an interview with Jason Warfice, author of The Vermont Encounters and Beyond, also a very good friend of mine. Joining me to help is my friend, Alan. And together, we asked Jason about his knowledge and experience with Bigfoot or Sasquatch. I hope you enjoy the Everything Horror Podcast episode. What's up everybody and welcome back to the show and with us today well we've got a buddy of mine first that is going to be helping me out with this one particular topic. Please welcome Alan. Alan thank you for Hello. joining. Happy to be here thanks for having me on. I yeah you will uh, get into it. Definitely and for those that may not know we have a author here that I believe has put out a book for almost four years now, and it is known as the Vermont Bigfoot Encounters and Beyond. And this is Jason Warfice. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're very welcome. And you know, this is a very interesting topic anyway because it is Bigfoot related, and if not a little bit more that we could get into because you did have a bonus chapter in your book and uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see if there's anything new that we can scratch your head from the couple years that uh, we haven't really talked and gotten together, so it would be great. Um, Now, real quick, uh, Jason, I know you had your experience before the book came out, and uh, for those that are are listening, uh, you also were a paranormal investigator at one point, so can you kind of give us a brief, uh, description about who you kind of are and how you were into the whole paranormal before you kind of switched over to the Bigfoot?
1: So I was uh, one of the founding members of uh, PINE, which is Paranormal Investigators of New England. Uh, Jeff Stewart is the founding father of that group. I was one of the original founding members of that back in 2004. Um, we mostly covered... Ghosts, hauntings, paranormal stuff. When we were doing that cases, but on the side, I was actually doing my own crypto work. Um, as far as the whole topic of Bigfoot, I've always had an interest in, in in the subject ever since I was a little kid. But you know, never in a million years did I actually perceive myself as actually going out into the field and investigating this kind of thing. But um, you know, one thing led to another, and I just happened to take interest in some of the reports that were happening in Vermont and New York, and I was pursuing them on the side, and I eventually kind of slowly drifted away from the uh, the paranormal, the PINE group, and they continued on doing their thing, and I just happened to just take more and more of an interest in, in the subject of Bigfoot and cryptozoology to the point where I was dove in and invested most of my free time in this in this subject
0: yeah and you've done you've done quite a bit too and i mean i know we met up and stuff and we talked about it especially the uh very well-known photo of the vermont trail cam here in vermont that was taken i believe in 2012 10 or t- 10 10 right that's right yeah I meant. that was that was a uh, fo- a trail cam taken out down
1: in Hubberton by a guy named uh, Frank Siencki. Um, he noticed that something was stealing his apples in in his own property, and he wasn't thinking Bigfoot. He was thinking, you know, maybe it was some uh, one of the uh, the locals or neighbors in the in the in, in the neighborhood. So he decided to set up a trail cam and, and catch whoever it is that was doing that. He left it up there for seven days, seven nights, and when he finally took it down, he was starting to review the footage, and he ca- he captured that particular image, and I guess the rest is history. He he submitted it to certain um, groups. I think there was a um, he, the the Vermont Fish and Wildlife. He submitted it to those guys, and they came back with the most ridiculous excuse of that it was an owl. Well. I didn't know owls got to be 600 pounds or more. And he submitted it to a couple, one person in in particular, I guess he was out in uh, the UK. He, uh, analyzed that. He was, I guess he was a computer analyst and he, he said, no, that's not an owl. And he was able to determine that the object in question was a good distance away from the camera. And, you know, he wasn't able to, say you know definitively as to what it is he just labeled it as a unknown which is good but the object in question was a lot larger than an average human so you know the people out there can draw their own conclusion
0: true with that especially it was also featured on the finding bigfoot tv show where they uh even tried to debunk the photo themselves but they really couldn't because they just weren't uh, if I may say, wide enough, because it definitely seems like whatever was in the photo was a, uh, so much larger and had width to it so that when they tried to draw out a line to show us where the uh, big foot in the photo, if that's what it is, of course, but we say it is but because it also seems like it was also carrying possibly a young. And, you know, it just, between a human and the outline they kind of gave that photo, there's no way in hell it comes close to the, uh, to the outline of that photo.
1: Right, right, and you know this guy got so many calls after that. Once the thing, the thing went viral. I mean, he got calls from people in Russia, believe it or not, interested wow. in that case, and he got people from Florida, California, um, South America, you know, from all over different parts of the, the globe. He was getting inquiries from people, including the uh, the show Finding Bigfoot, even did a an episode on 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 him one day this was back in 2012, I think they did the episode. And since then, people have been kind of discriminating against it, saying, well, no, it's not that, it's this, it's it's two wolves fighting, it's a bear, it's, you know, <laughs> anywhere from a person in a costume to, you know, the tooth fairy, but, you know, whatever <laughs> they say, <laughs> no one has been able to definitively prove what it is or what it isn't. You know what I mean?
0: Right, and that, that, uh, and it's also interesting where we also hear reports of Bigfoot where they like to go to places where there's apples, whether it be in apples on the ground, in the tree, no matter what. But it's always seemed to be around apple orchids or any type of apples, really, even if it's just just wild apples. Now, out of curiosity, Jason, why do you think Bigfoot like to be around apples, really?
1: Well, I think it's just an easy meal for them, and Whitehall, New York, there, if you if you drive into Whitehall from Vermont, and you're going in through Route 4, and you take a look on, on the left-right-hand side while you're going in, you're going to see at least uh, four or five different apple orchards on the way in there, and along the way, that's just along the side of the route. Now, there's also apple orchards set back further into the town, which you'll never see because it's on private property. Um, apples tend to grow they bloom a little bit later on in the year Um, they tend to start you know blooming around um, July August September they're pretty much done by October whereas a lot of the uh, the plant life seems to be you know finishing their cycle for that year but apples are a good source of energy they provide a lot of uh, vitamins and nutrients So, and, you know, when it comes to the human element, I mean, a lot of people enjoy them. I mean, I myself personally have them, but as far as a a food source, that really is, you know, the ideal food source you need when, when you're traveling around in, in, from going from one area to the next, because they don't stay in one area, they migrate, and if they know that there's air, there's there's a food source such as corn, apple orchards, or any kind of uh, vegetation in that area, they're going to frequent the area on a on a given time of
2: the year.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, Jason, I had a question as for you. What? How do you how do you find uh, in all your research um, the 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 characteristics of 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 Sasquatch or Bigfoot in in the Vermont area differ from? ones that you find uh, in other parts of the uh, of the U.S. Or, or around the world in your own research? Yeah, well, you know,
1: they don't really differ from all the rest of the parts of the United States, except for the fact that here in New England we have four seasons, so they have to plan accordingly like any other species in, in the wilderness, whereas to migrate during certain times of the year, whereas if you're living down in, say, Florida, you have the uh, Florida skunk ache down in the Everglades. They tend to linger around in an area most of the year because that's their primary source of food, whereas when you have an, an area such as New England in, in the um, the Four Seasons area, you tend to live your life a little different than you would down south. Now, out in California, in the uh, Pacific Northwest, um, again, you're in an area that has heavy rainfall, and what we notice about these creatures, what they all have in common is they tend to make their habitat in areas that have heavy rainfall each year annually, and New England and the Pacific Northwest are the prime areas for that now if you go into more into the midwest in the in the uh, center of the United States, like um oh I'm going to say some place like um Kansas where, you know, sightings around there are, tend to be few and far between. And then again, it, it, the the climate area in that area tends to be a little bit more drier, so you get fewer annual rainfall in that area. Well, in a creature such as this, something as, as large as 8, 9 feet in height, and 600 pounds plus, you're going to need a lot of water to keep yourself hydrated. So it makes perfect sense to, to live in, a, in an area such as New England right
2: right um have you have you found a, a difference in uh, you know uh, uh, physical descriptions um, there's obviously uh there there tends to be some some uh, discrepancy in in certain areas um or or different types of of sasquatch that people uh find in different yeah. parts um the the ones in Vermont uh w- what uh, I don't know if you if you uh, go by some of the types, like the type one, two, three, and four, or or more than that, um, or what 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 character, physical characteristics do you find in in Vermont? Um, well, yeah, as far as the types, I think I found
1: myself personally research that there's at least five different types of them out there. Now there could be more, but um, as, as far as the type one, two, and three, four, and five, it um, I guess it all depends on the individual and how they label them. Type 3 tends to be the most common one that they see. Um, type 1 would be your um, your Yeti, your embovenable um, snowman. These creatures tend to be more ape-like in, in appearance. They have more of a um, a, a um, chimpanzee or, or baboon-type look to them. They do walk upright. They're not what we call knuckle walkers. They are more they have a height of around six to seven feet. They tend to be more aggressive prone. Now, type two, I'm going to say the, uh, the swamp dwellers myself, this is what you would call the, um, this is your Florida Everglades where your, your skunk ape. Again, these tend to be more, um, ape-like or um, more like a type of a, a, primate type of appearance to them, less of a human, more of an ape, um, and again, these down at the uh, the Florida Everglades, we get footprints that have only three toes to them, and that that kind of threw a, threw a lot of researchers off over the years because the question is, you know, why only three digits on, on a foot where the most of these creatures, like, such as humans, have five toes? Um, so the theory about the aquatic ape comes into play. Uh, That's never been proven or disproven, but when you go out to, say, Ohio, they have something called the Ohio Grassman, and there's a lot of uh, swampy regions down there. Again, they've they've been finding three-toed footprints in that area. Um, If you take a a, a, a trip out to the Falk, Arkansas, where they had the the Monster of Boggy Creek, again, that creature has been infamously known to leave three-toed tracks, Type 3 is what you call your average Bigfoot Sasquatch. And type 3, you got type 3 and 4, they kind of have a, uh, a, a discrepancy between the two. One of them has been reported to see the more of a, a conical-shaped head, where it's kind of more, the, 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 the cranium becomes more pointed at the top. Right. Um, we don't always get that. Sometimes it's a rounded skull, so that gives you two different types right there. Um, also, the uh, type three and four tend to be more human-like in appearance, less more human, less of an ape, less of a of a primate. They uh, tend to vary in different hair color, and I, I think that's just it's just a simple of different you know pigmentation, just like we have blonde-haired people, blue um, and, uh, brunette hairs, and redheads, and so forth. Um, now, as far as the tracks that we get, we get somewhat. Some of them have what they call a, um, a a mid-parcel break, which is that extra hinge joint that humans don't have. Um, again, we don't always get that, so there's you get those two different types in there. Type 5 is more of a... Um, it, it, it tends to be more, how, how do I... Maybe a canine-looking look to them because... The uh, people that have seen them now—I've never seen the Type Five before—but people have described them as um, the ears on the side become more larger and more pointed on the side, whereas the, um, the the chin and jaw tends to protrude outward a little bit more, giving it a more of a human appearance in eyes, but more of a um, more of an animalistic look from the lower half of, of the jaw. If that makes any sense. Right. Right. Now um, the question is do they interbreed if so then well now you have maybe a, a type 6 and 7 of them but that's just theory and speculation
2: right yeah i've also heard um there's also been obviously theories about uh, about uh, inbreeding and um and also i guess uh track awareness where they where they're 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 sort of backtracking and and altering the the shapes of their tracks uh you know in, in in trying to throw people off have you have you looked into any uh theories about that at all or what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah i mean, i've I've heard those before um, they're extremely intelligent i mean obviously they have to be if if they're going to be evading mankind for hundreds of years i mean these are not your your animals that live in the woods these are cognizant thinkers. And they have been theorized that they kind of give, they, they cover their tracks from time to time. If, they, if they're in an area that they know that humans tend to frequent from time to time, they've been known to um, backtrack on their tracks, um, kind of throwing people off a little bit. Um, they, but I will say this they know they're being looked for, they know that people are out there in the woods hunting them. They're fully aware of that, and for that, they have to make that their number one top priority, which is to avoid humans
2: at all costs absolutely yeah can can you um tell us a little bit about your encounter and and uh, and, and what your first experience with them uh, first San was yeah, sure um,
1: basically it's in i don't really want to disclose the area right now because I still go up there for. Research, and we don't really want a you know a whole crap ton of people going out there pushing the creatures out of the area. But right, I was in an area in 2013. It was the summer, and I was visiting an area doing research on on the subject. And I was out there. I was down there for you know five days. Now, I kept on going back to one particular mountain, in in general, because. I kept on hearing strange voice chatter coming from the woods at night, and I was asking myself, "What is that?" Because I can hear the, I, I can hear the, I, I could hear syllables. It sounded like a person talking in the woods, but the direction that it came from really didn't make any sense because it was just, it was just. Remote wilderness. I mean, there, there weren't any paths, there weren't any roads or trails or, or houses or or cabins. It was just complete wilderness. And if I, I flew a drone over there just you know a couple of years ago and just taking an, an aerial shot of the the, uh, the, the, the area and there's just nothing but trees and wilderness out there. So, anyways, jumping back to the incident, I was back there on the third night, yeah. and I'm just hanging out I'm just walking around at, at, and this was probably around 12, is after midnight and I heard the most god-awful scream. I mean, I, I can't even imitate the the scream that I heard. It, best way to describe it, it almost sounded like an elephant screaming and a, and a woman screaming combined into two. I mean, the, the lung capacity on this thing was just sheer massive and that kind of just stopped me in my tracks saying what the f was that? I had, I, I, at the time I had a pistol and I was wearing it on my hip and I had my hand on on my gun the entire time and it sounded like a good distance away and the ironic thing about the whole thing is that when that happened all the all the crickets in the woods stopped it's basically just everything went dead silent and about a minute later I heard the uh, the scream again, only a little bit closer. So, it, it I said to myself, "Well, I'm not sure what that is, but it's heading in in my direction." So I I got in my car and I went down the road because there was only one road up there and, and one road out. And I go down. I'm driving down the road, and I had my all my windows rolled down because it was after all it was July. And I'm kind of sticking my head out, going, you know, looking around. And I'm only going, like, maybe 5, 10 miles an hour. And I get maybe a quarter of a mile down the road. And I come to a little bend in the road. And I see this obstruction off on the uh, left side, driver's side of, of the road. And at first, I thought it was a, a rock or a tree stump. And like, I said to myself, "Jeez, how the hell did that thing get there? That wasn't That wasn't there when I came up here. And I'm saying, oh, great, I'm going to have to get out and move this thing out of the way so I can drive around it. Because the road was so narrow, It was the road was only wide enough for one car. So as I'm approaching it, as soon as my high beams hit it, this thing stood straight up. It took two strides across the road, and it was gone and into the woods. I mean, it was one, two, gone. And... As I'm passing it, I, I could hear sticks and branches breaking as it's making its way into the woods. I didn't stop. I kept on going, and I get to the bottom of the mountain, and I pull off to the side because my hands were were shaking and quivering so bad that I, I couldn't drive. I stopped, and I just sat there, What which was probably maybe four or five minutes. To me, it seemed like an hour, and I just kind of had to you know, pull myself together mentally to to tell myself, did I just see what I thought I just saw? Now, to describe what I saw, it was large in, in appearance. It was probably around seven, seven and a half, eight feet in height. It was covered in hair. It was dark brown, almost a black in color. I never got to see its face because all I saw was a side profile view of it walking, you know, making its way across the road. The legs on this thing were just so muscle bound in, in appearance i mean I, I saw the legs flex the muscles flexing in the legs as it as it walked across the the road. It had kind of an arm swing to it i mean during that brief two seconds in time is just something you just you don 't forget about. It had hands and it just looked so human in appearance it, if you can if you can visualize a eight foot tall Power Olympic uh power lifter that's covered in hair, that's kind of what that's really what you're gonna get. And I I didn't tell anyone about this for about six months, seven, eight months maybe. First people I pulled were my parents, but I, I kept it to myself a lot of times, just simply because of the whole ridicule factor. So I eventually told someone and a coworker and he said, oh, someone was messing with you. Someone was playing a hoax, I'm playing a prank on you. And I laughed at them. I said, that's interesting because I would really like to meet the person that was large enough to fill a, a costume that big. I, I said, you don't understand. You didn't, you didn't see the, the sheer massive size of this thing. And the more you look at the whole prank factor, you know, what kind of person do you know of that's about eight feet in height, that is going to hang out in the woods in a remote area in a costume like that, waiting for the off chance for someone to come along and, and, and to
2: take, take it one step further. Nobody knew I was up there. Right. Right. I think a lot of people also, I mean, you know, it's hard. I think people you hear, they hear seven and a half, eight feet. And I don't think, I think a lot of people don't understand what, what that size actually looks like in person and what that kind of mass would be uh for for something like this um it, just the impossibility of of faking something like that and seeing the muscle movement and seeing you know beyond that just again like you said who's who's going to wait out in the middle of of the woods uh, uh or or in the middle of nowhere for for what purpose are they what 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 did they get out of uh creating that amazing costume that uh, almost nobody could possibly Phil. uh, just to give you a, a two second, uh, a glance at something like that. So, um, can, can you, what, what, what did your body physically feel when you're, when you're finally seeing this thing that, that I guess, you know, I mean, it's one thing to, to know that they're out there or to think that they're out there or to believe that they're out there, but to, to finally lay eyes on something that, you know, every, uh, everything that you've. You know that that basically changes your 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 world outlook in an instant. Uh, what is that like to experience that? Well, I never not believed in them. I always knew they existed.
1: Um, the best way to describe physically what a person go, or at least what I went through when I saw it, um, when you see something that stuns you to the point where you're just in shock. Picture yourself as your your blood turning to ice, you get that feeling that 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 nauseous feeling right when you 're about to throw up your 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 blood just becomes really cold it 's almost like you have ice in your veins. Um, my heart was racing about one hundred miles an hour. I thought my heart was going to just explode out of my chest my my hands were shaking i ha- I had the shakes in my hands and um, it's just you know all of those physical. Features that come from a psychological experience such as that, that it's... You know, some people would say that it's a traumatizing. I don't refer to it as traumatizing to me. I, I thought it was, to me, shocking and to the point where I was actually... You know, I was actually moved by the whole experience that this thing is was standing right in front of me. This thing... Could have easily killed me if it wanted to, but I didn't get the impression that this thing wanted to harm me in any ways. Um, so I, I'm not saying I'm not telling people to go out there and look for one and try and become friends with them, but they, you know, for the most part, don't want anything to do with humans. Now there has been some people reporting having some kind of interaction with them to the point where their cabins get. Rocks thrown at them, and there uh, something is is banging on the the outside of their houses late at night. Um, you know, I, I think they're telling people that they don't want them there. But my theory behind that is that these are the juveniles that are you know messing with people. I think the old, the older creatures, they they tend to know better, so they avoid humans. But I think these juvenile creatures are kind of like our teenage kids, in a sense, where they, uh, they tend to be a little bit more mischievous. You know, they'll throw rocks at people's houses, just like we did when we were kids. They'll peek through people's windows. They'll kind of um, play pranks on people, you know, in a sense. They'll run out in front of traffic. And these are the typical human behaviors that we we exhibit when we're teenage kids. Simply because we do things like that that it's fun. It's fun to get a rise out of someone. Another oh, playful. That, yeah. In a, well, in a sense, I think that they tend to be a little bit more mischievous. And yeah. And and the the reason why I suspect that the people are experiencing the juvenile Sasquatches is because. When I ask them how tall was this thing, a lot of the times the reports are very consistent where they're about, you know, seven, seven and a half feet in height. Well, we know these things get taller. They get bigger than people have reported them seeing them nine feet or even ten feet in height. So that tells me that these are the more younger ones that are saying, hey, let's Let's go bang on that guy's cabin tonight, like we did last night. We'll scare the hell out of those people. Let's <laughs> throw rocks at these hikers coming along. You know, let's run out in front right. of that car that's that's coming along. You know, because a good majority of the sightings we get are roadside sightings.
2: Right, right. Can can you um, can you tell us a little bit about maybe uh, uh some of the more interesting or or more exciting uh, encounters that you've uh, you've interviewed or, or heard about.
1: Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned it, I was just, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to a family just, you know, just last year, they reached out to me, I mean, they, I well, actually, they reached out to me just about a month ago, but their encounter took place last year, the fall in October, and basically, it went a little something like this, you have two uh brothers, a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old, they were going fishing, I'm not going to disclose the area because it's, um, it's still ongoing. I'm still researching that area. So they're going up the way in a trail, making their way to a creek. And as they got a little ways up there, the, uh, the younger brother of the two got pelted in the, in the side of the ear with a little pebble. So he, he smacks his little brother, his, his, his older brother rather, and he says, hey, stop that. You know, The kid's like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. He goes, he just threw a rock at me. He goes, no, I didn't. And as he's doing that, he's facing his brother. He gets hit in the back of the shoulder with another rock. And he, gets, he turns around, and he looks at this particular tree, and it was the only tree that was fat enough in that direction for someone to hide behind. And they're both looking at the same tree, and they're, and they're saying, I think there's somebody here with us. So they start walking towards the tree and approaching it, and they're saying, hello, is somebody here? Who is that? They get within, I'd say, maybe 30 yards of the tree when out steps this large, hairy, lumbering creature. And their description was it was over seven and a half feet, because the kid told me he was like, "Well, my dad's six foot four, so this thing has to be at least a, a foot taller than him." And it was covered in hair. it was a uh, dark brown hair, then they said it looked like a giant human. And I just, I asked them, can you describe what the face looks like? And they said, well, again, it, it had that conical-shaped head. It, it, they, they said the top of the head was pointed. And they said it had big black eyes like an owl. They couldn't see any whites in their eyes. And it, it said it had a, uh, like a big, thick, brushy um, eyebrow, which to me looked, it would probably match the description of a pronounced uh, brow ridge. The nose was flat, but it was wide, and it had large nostrils. It had thin lips, but wide. It had a square-looking jaw. No face. No hair on the face, but it had sideburns. And one of the kids noticed it had a runny nose. So this, this thing is staring at them, and these kids are standing in front of it looking at it. And they said it was probably about 20 to 30 seconds, you know, that this thing was standing there. And it was... They, the kid said it was making um, growling sounds and pig snorting sounds at him. And I, I seem to think that's just the way it was breathing. And eventually this thing squatted down, kind of like a, a football player would do right before it blitzes after, you know, running into the field. Well, as this thing just squat down, these kids dropped their fishing poles and they ran down the path as fast as they could. And they got to the bottom of the, the trail and they looked at each other, they're looking around and they didn't see any sign of it. And the little brother said to his, his older brother, he goes, well, I got something to tell you. I just, I just pissed in my pants. And the other brother goes, yeah, me too. So did I. (laughs) And they walked back to it. it, it, It's kind of comical in a sense, but it's funny, but it's not because, you know, these kids were generally scared after you know what they saw and they they went back and they're like should we tell dad should we tell dad and his other brother goes no don't 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 tell dad and they they told their mom and the mom was like well where's your fishing poles and they're like it's up it's up in the woods we're not going back after there to get it so they eventually told their dad and their dad was like oh jesus for heaven's sakes i'm going to go up there and i'm going to i'll i'll find out he didn't see anything, but he eventually he retrieved the fishing poles. Um, now, how I learned about this story is the mother reached out to me through my uh, my Facebook page. Uh, Vermont Bigfoot Research Group is is my my page, and um, she told me the the whole rundown of the story. Um, now, they didn't say anything over the holidays to their to the rest of their family because you know they just wanted. To, to keep the whole thing quiet because they didn't want everyone to think that they're, you know, crazy mind or, or crazy or what have you. Now, that's you know, the common reaction you get from people these days. Um, so the mother reached out to me recently and and shared her shared their story with me. Now I actually went out there and I met the kids and they uh, they took me up there and they were kind of a little bit reluctant to do so, but. I went up there. I, we, I mean, we were fully armed, so they showed me the exact tree where it, where they saw it from, and I looked at it. I mean, I looked down the trail. I said, "Hey, kids, you know, that's a good half a mile that you guys ran. did you run the whole entire way?" And they're like, "Damn right, we did." Wow! Wow! Now, yeah. We I, I, now again, we didn't find any footprints or anything because you know, I mean, you're just not going to after all this time has passed, but. Right. The area in general, there was a creek nearby, and you know this. I, I do believe their story wholeheartedly because there's a lot of mm-hmm. common denominators in that story that parallel other experiences, one of which there was kids involved. A lot of times mm-hmm. when there's a Bigfoot sighting, there are children involved that end up having the, the encounter, Um, Another one is that um, the the sighting usually takes place, near nine times out of ten, these sightings take place near bodies of water, Um, Mm -hmm. swamps, ponds, rivers, creeks, lakes, that that kind of thing, which makes perfect sense because they need water as a, a source to stay hydrated. And third one, most of all, is that it took place in the fall, which is here in New England, a lot of our sightings take place in in the fall like october november in 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 that in that area because my theory behind that is that when they're in the, your summer time which is june july august that I, I seem to think they're more deeper into the woods because there's more vegetation there's more to eat for them so around october when the, the vegetation is all died, that's the time where they tend to come out of their area. They they kind of venture into our domain, and that's when people's pets wind up missing. That's when we see them going through dumpsters and you know ravishing people's garbage and, and things because they're they're foraging for food at that time of the year. So that's my personal right. theory. Right,
0: Jason. For the you know you've probably talked with i don't know a lot of people i'll just say and throughout interviewing people have you gotten a few that you could tell were not really a real story versus a real story like like you know some people will kind of just make up a story just so that they have a story have you ever came across any of yourself
1: yeah yeah about that um Yeah, I I have certain interview methods. I'm not gonna. I don't want to really give away all my secrets. But you know, when when someone tells me a story through, and again, a lot of times people contact me through email. um, I'll try and set up a phone interview with that person, and I'll ask them certain trick questions. Basically, I'm just trying to figure out if that person is lying to me or not. If I believe them, I'll try and set up a uh, face to face interview where I actually meet them in person. Now. One thing I do is I ask them certain things over the phone. I'll ask them questions about, and basically it's all just a matter of paying attention to detail, and you ask them certain questions. Then when I meet them, I'm going to ask them those very same questions again and see if they kind of deviate from their original story, because if they do, well, that means that they're lying. And another thing you want to pay attention to when interviewing a person, you know, it doesn't matter what the story is. If if it's a really traumatic story, that someone has been through, then you're going to notice some sort of body reaction. Sometimes the hair in their forearms stand up. Sometimes they shake. Sometimes, you know, you're going to get all sorts of things. That tells me that the person has was genuinely scared. So what I like to do is I kind of like to take them back to the, the time of their their experience and, and, and get them to t- try and relive it just to see if they're being truthful or not.
0: Yeah, and sometimes just like you were saying with the body language and stuff, that sometimes they will start shaking and uh quivering just because, you know, it's like a nightmare to them, uh, if they've really been so impacted by it. And, you know, I feel bad for those people too that have been traumatized and you sometimes hear they have nightmares until they kinda talk about it and talking about uh the experiences from what they've had seem to help out Their, uh, fear, if I may say, or terror, like it helped them kind of settle down. And the last thing that I wanted to say too, uh, before I forget is going back to what we were talking about with Jason, with your experience with the whole, um, and also with what you just mentioned with the story of throwing rocks, you had also something similar yourself.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've, this was in a completely different area, um, where I've I've had rocks thrown at me in, in areas. Now I don't want to just jump and point the finger at a at a Sasquatch and say he was the one who did it because I never seen the perpetrator that did such. So you know I I kind of leave it in the category of of, of you know the possibility where it could have been person or it could have been you know something of 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 the such. But again you know I I. I tend to live in a world of facts, so I don't really want to theorize as to what it could have been unless I actually have evidence that will actually
2: support that. Right. Right. Oh, but go you know, just one thing I think that, that, that is important to say, you know, I think for an audience, um, especially because, you know, a topic like this, I think a lot of people, uh, it's, it's, it's very, uh, it's very hard for a lot of people to, um, to grasp this subject or, 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 and, and sometimes the possibility that something like this can exist but I think one thing that that's hard for people to i, I think understand is i it, it it you know this is not a a subject that I think um, a lot of people you know there's this idea that hoaxing or or, or making up these stories uh, uh, brings some kind of you know that there's something to gain from that um, and obviously some people do lie and some people do make up stories but uh, would you, would you, would you find that there's probably a lot more motivation for people not to tell a story if they do experience it than, than the other way around? Would you, would you, have you found that or would you agree with that? Just from you the know, ridicule and you're the absolutely, stuff? you're right. You're absolutely right. The majority of the people that have had
1: experiences in this field tend to kind of keep it quiet to themselves. And again, you know, when people reach out to me, these are the small marginal percentages of people that actually are feel comfortable about sharing it with someone, as opposed to most people. I mean, I, I've talked to people in general. I mean, I've talked to some coworkers, and and I've known a couple of people who know someone who actually seen one of these creatures. And I've every year we have what's called the Paracon conference, which is a they call it the or Something I'm, I'm usually there. I have my own table where people can come up to me and talk to me. And I get a lot of people that come up to me and tell me that they've heard something or seen something, or or their grandfather saw a Bigfoot back in his, his day. And again, these people, you will not find their stories in, on any books or websites. And these are people that, like you said, they keep they kept to themselves over over these years because of their own probably their own personal fear of ridicule. People will think of it of that person as a crackpot. But then again, right. you know the whole cryptozoology field, unfortunately, has been looked upon as a crackpot science. And I hope to see someday where we can actually take Bigfoot out of the tabloids and bring it into the, the light of science, where it can actually be studied and seen and, and examined. But unfortunately, the only way to do that is with is a body. Now, I, I don't want to be the one to pull the trigger, because I don't really like to kill anything out there in the wilderness, but unfortunately
2: the other side of the coin is well. that's what it's going to take. Right. Right. And that's, you know, and that's obviously, uh, I think uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about the challenges of that, um, on a couple levels. Uh, uh, have, have you, have you done research? Obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you know, there are a lot of reports of, of these things, traveling groups, uh, that they, you know, they're, they're, they, they wouldn't be that easy. You know, that first of all, not just the size of them, but, um, you know the, the where you where you might be terrain wise by the time you would take something out uh, like that. Uh, the challenge of actually getting a body in, um, and then have you ever had any reports or any thoughts about about uh, any kind of interference once a body might have been taken or or discovered?
1: Well, so, not too long ago, just just uh, just some years back. I don't remember the exact year. There was a guy out in California who claims to have shot and killed one. I think he claims he shot two of them. Um, I don't believe his story because he he had several variations of that story every time he told the story. It kind of he kind of deviated away from the original one. So, um, but as far as the whole reality of, of the, the the Sasquatch in their families, they they've been known to travel in family units. And years ago, when I first got into it, I, I thought these were solitary creatures that traveled by themselves as, as lone wolves. But now I realize that that's not true. They do travel in families. They do travel in packs. But they're, a little, they're they tend to be a little bit more spaced out in the wilderness. They they're a well, little further away from each other so they can cover more ground. And I seem to think that that's mainly for hunting purposes. Um, if you're a hunter, you probably are familiar with the term herding the deer, which is you're you're trying to get the deer to travel in a certain direction, where Big Daddy down the hill is there waiting for the deer, and that's they, they're basically herding them into the kill zone. Well, that's a, a that's a method that that some hunters use as well. Um, so if you have you know shoot a Bigfoot, well, you better watch out for the others. Because I can almost guarantee you, we bet your bottom dollar, there's at least two or three more in that area. You may not see them, but they're around there somewhere. Right. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Now that brings me an interesting question, Jason. Now, you know, there's some, um, sorry Alan for cutting you out, but this is very interesting topic because, uh, you know, we hear about people who shoot a Bigfoot because they're either charging them or whatever. And then you hear, from people when they try to uh, claim the body, I'll say like the hunter trying to claim the body or whatever, another Bigfoot will come in and grab that dead Bigfoot body and then throw them over their shoulders and walk off with them. Now, I I don't know if you have any type of thoughts on that, Jason, of what you think, why another Bigfoot would come over and claim um, one of their dead and walk off with it. That,
1: yeah, I've heard those stories before. Um, that whereas hunters have been known to, you know, shoot one before and another one was seen in the area taking that one away and bringing it to safety. Well, that's probably a family member. I mean, if you're if if a member of your family got injured or hurt in the woods, I think your prime objective was to rescue that person and bring him into safety away from the the evil human that that pulled the trigger on him and that makes perfect sense. I can see exactly why they would do that. Now, if you were to shoot one and stop him dead in his tracks and he's just laying there you know lifelessly, and you leave the area and say, "Well, I'll come back for it tomorrow when I can get a pickup truck or something big enough to carry it away," more than likely that thing's going to be gone um, now, if the family the the family members of the the sasquatch was is probably going to take it away somewhere, and we have this theory that's well that's speculative only is that is that we think that they bury their dead, just like humans do. Now, if that if, if that creature that you shot was there all by himself, well, there's a good chance that, that you're going to have you're going to be dealing with animal predation. There's going to be wolves. There's going to be coyotes. There's going to be other animals that will that will probably see that as a, force, a a source of food because when an animal goes down in the wilderness, all the rest of the animals know about it as well. So that's another challenge that you're you're gonna be dealing with. Not, Not sure. their giant giant yeah, mean, the, the the yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was no, gonna no. say I don't rec- I don't recommend shooting these things because I you know, they do tend to be more ten they're basically they're human hybrids. Um so I, I think shooting one would be morally wrong. Um it would also be dangerous for the the person with the gun because now they're putting their own life at risk because, well, like I said, you better watch out for the others. Oh,
0: that right. is very true. And right. what, and another thing, uh, Jason, just real quick is, you know, we hear too with people that kill our Sasquatch. And then when they call the pool, uh, the police or forest ranger or whoever and say like, Oh yeah, like I have a big or whatever. Did we hear about the police showing up with a unidentified car with black, tainted windows and then they just come in and say "This never happened now yeah yeah um yeah about that yeah
1: there's been numerous people not just here in new england but there was a an incident out in new york where a person actually claimed to have shot one and he he actually obtained um tissue samples and hair samples from from a piece of tissue that that flew off of it as as it took a, uh, a hit from the side, and he actually put it in a plastic baggie, and he called the sheriff, and the sheriff came over and responded. And he, he's like, uh, "Well, I'll, I'll I'll just take that, and we'll we'll take it in for analysis." And um, later on, I think it was, may have been a day later, he gets a visit from a a, a black van with funny-looking antennas on the top of it and guys getting out in you know just civilian uniform clothing actually threatened him and they they threatened to throw him in jail they threatened all all, all sorts of bogus charges on that person should he go public with his his statement right so yeah. these stories these stories are around where people are threatened by um various rogue government agencies that um that people are they're not able to identify as to what branch of, of agency they're from, whether it's FBI or, or something else, but they know that they're being threatened because they have some sort of um determining evidence that can actually prove the existence of these creatures and it seems like that our government does not want that.
0: And right. you know, it's it's really scary when you think about that. And I mean I've heard of also stories where not only do they threaten to throw them in jail, but they threaten to like take away their property and yes. just to cover up the story and to use the location to, I, I guess, investigate uh, their own terms really. And it's, it's really weird too. And you brought up a really another interesting thing that I heard you say um, uh, yourself, where you kind of found uh, a hair uh, like some hair samples or fur samples however you you want to look at it and you kind of had your own experience with that too with finding this uh sample and trying to submit it yourself but you know it's oh man what would i (laughs) i moved in my train of thought here like um shit like okay well i guess from right now is um i know you had your own hair sample jason and you tried submitting it so can you tell no, actually, Uh let
1: me Let me correct you on that. I did not submit it because, I, and yes, I do have a hair sample that I obtained from a, a pricker bush in an area that was in Vermont. But I wasn't able to submit it to anyone because in order to submit it for DNA testing and analysis, well, unfortunately, it's expensive. It costs you a couple of thousand dollars to do that. Um, now I don't have the money to do that, so... Um, I've just kept them, I, I, I've kept it in a location this whole time. So I've, okay. I've yet to find someone that can actually do that for me. Uh, you
2: know, the, uh, there has been, so, there has been, you know, hair and, and DNA uh, analyzed. And unfortunately it seems that until they actually have, you know, the specimen on file that they can actually, you know, they, they always go to it's, uh, it's tainted or it's, or it's inconclusive if it doesn't matter. You know, it's, a, it's an unknown primate uh or or close to human or 98 or 99 percent human but unknown primate and they don't you know and ultimately there's never the you know the conclusive um they can never they can never make the final conclusion until they actually have the the specimen on the file to actually you know um and yes, yeah, that uh, that is true uh, match it that is true um there's a woman out there by the name of uh, melba ketchum
1: out in texas She has actually been through this whole DNA testing analysis, and she has had various research groups submit hair samples to her. Um, She did not do the testing herself. She actually submitted it to other um, lab agencies out there. Jen Banks was one of them, and they did the test, they ran, they did the procedure, they ran it back, and it says, and they've actually said, um, well, this came back human. They thought at first that there was maybe some cross-contamination, so she's like, well, that can't be just run, can you run it again? They ran it back, and it came back as, well, no, these are, these are human. Now, what they did was, so they said, okay, well, let's take it one step further. Let's, you know, instead of running the test on a uh, mitochondria DNA, which mitochondria, by the way, is only from your mother's side, they decided to test the nucleus of the DNA, which is both mother and father. Now, the test they got back then was a little bit different. They came back to be 90% human and 10% unknown, and that 10%, they were not able to match it with any species identification creatures on this planet. So we're theorizing that at one point in time, a human female breeded with an unknown that's probably now extinct, and now we have these hybrid species, which is known as the Sasquatches, which by the way, we're all human hybrids. By the way. I mean, some of us have um, uh, Denisovan DNA, others um, have Neanderthal DNA. So you know, all of us people, we're all human hybrids. The
2: way you look at it. Right. Right. And and have you have you done any research into? I mean, there are countless you know stories of of you know Native Americans being kidnapped or or taken um, females or or children. Taken, taken away uh, by wild men, or
1: yeah, um, and you yeah, know, there's 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 a lot of stories behind that. I mean, depending on which Native American tribe culture you talk to, um, I guess um, some of them have actually said yeah, every single Native American culture on the North American content gives some sort of reference to these creatures. Some of them say good things about them. Some of them say bad things. Some of them call them the Elder Brothers. Others call them the mountain devils. Um, you know, no matter how you slice it, they all know about them. They've known about them ever since the white man, before the white man even came to our, our content and discovered America. Um, some tribes and cultures claim to have actually traded with them at, at some point in time. Um, some of them actually do not say nice things about them because some of them claim that some of their children were kidnapped by, by these creatures. Others say that their females were, were kidnapped, probably for breeding purposes. Um right. whether or not they actually were able to actually give birth to any of their, their breeding is so well I I I guess that's anyone's guess. I don't I haven't not found any proof of
2: that, but you know that's not to say it never happened.
0: Right, right
2: no that's uh yeah it's it's the these these tales definitely go back and and for sure it's 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 amazing how many uh there's there's news articles from you know between the 1600s and the mid-1900s of of wild men and um you know just after you know after all the tales that were there i know that a lot of uh uh, you know the indigenous people said that these were actually the first ones and and that they were there even before they migrated to to the areas um uh, what's your thoughts I, for for the skeptical audience? I mean, you know, it, it's hard for a lot of people, I think, to understand how something this this large and this uh, you know and this this massive this um, you know uh, could be could could remain hidden for so long. And uh, I think a lot of people don't don't quite understand what what our what our forces are like and what the terrain is like. And and I think ultimately feel like. Uh, you know, we've 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 covered. We're not the only ones around. Like we're not the only. Yeah.
1: One. Well, you and, know, as far as
2: skeptics, um,
1: I can understand the the argument behind it because, after all, we don't have a body to show the general public and say, "Here you go." And I think the only way to solve this mystery and put it to rest is with a body. Now, as far as the whole general areas as to where these creatures breed and, and live and, and migrate. You know, if you go on Google Earth Map and you look in in some of these heavily forested areas, these areas are just huge. I mean, you're looking at hundreds of square miles that that man has never even set foot on. And these are the, the really, really remote areas that are off the beaten track from areas that, are, that you won't find any roads nearby, that you won't find any uh, hiking trails nearby. These are the areas that you really want to look in to find these creatures. Unfortunately, most people don't venture out in, into those remote areas. And that's part of the problem as to why we haven't really found any of these creatures. Um, another reason is that there's so few of them spread so far thin beyond our vast wilderness. Now, there's a lot of theories that uh, a lot of these cryptozoologists people out there they say there's between maybe four to seven thousand of them here in the u.s um i kind of disagree with that personally i think those numbers are relatively low in order to sustain an adequate breeding population you're going to need the numbers to be a little bit higher than that so i'm going to go on record i'm going to say anywhere between 15 to eighteen thousand of them here in in the north american continent including uh canada now i think that now i think if the numbers were any higher than that, they would be seen more often. But again, right. those numbers are not that high because the, when you consider the Vermont fish and wildlife estimated there to be about 5,000 bears in Vermont. Okay. Right. Where are they? How
2: come we're not seeing them as often? <laughs> exactly. See my point. Right. And, and, uh, I think, you know, the other thing is people don't, you know, people don't realize how, how, how rare it is to find those, those bones and bodies in, in, in the, uh, in the wilderness. And beyond that, you know, a, a creature like, a creature like that you know, for what it is, seems to be the, the, the master of, of this kind of terrain. And we, we just are not, um, and our ability to sort of navigate these areas and, no. um, no, and, at all. and, you know, right. They, they're, they're aware of us well before we would be aware, uh, it would come anywhere near being aware of them. Yeah. And, right. Uh, uh, you and know, these, so... yeah, these 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 things are masters of their environment. They grew up in the woods.
1: They live in the woods. Now you can take—I don't know if you ever watched the History Channel. If you ever watch a documentary on the uh, the Green Berets, these are our our military's elite special forces. They can camo themselves up to the point where, if you're in the woods, they can—they will stand. You will be three feet away from one of these dudes, and you will never even know they're there. That's how they can blend themselves in. Now these creatures again master their masters of their environment so they grew up in the woods and they they know the area a lot better than any of us humans do and when people take a walk in the woods they have no idea how vast the wilderness is in there i mean there's a reason why we call it the wildlife
0: oh for sure for sure and
2: and we're also you know we're, we're we tend to be pretty clumpy um we are and make a lot of noise you know and uh, these things do not. Um, they, they're, they're, they're yeah. In, yeah. In, in fact, they will see you, hear you,
1: and smell you before you even know that they're around. You know that absolutely. Their their senses are are a lot more acute than ours. I mean, if you had a skull of a Sasquatch, I'm gonna theorize and say that the nasal cavity of their of, of their skull is a lot larger than our human skull. So that means they have their nasal passages are a lot more. Sensitive than us humans. Their eye sockets are probably going to be a lot bigger, which allows them to take in more light, which gives them more night vision ability. Their hearing senses are probably a lot more attuned than the average human. So, again, I I think they may be a pay grade above us as far as genetics is concerned. They're just far more superior than us humans.
0: I want to touch on what Jason was saying too about how Bigfoot would hear, smell, and stuff uh, before we would see it. Now, jason what about those that get told like you know i was in the woods and i somehow was able to sneak up on this bigfoot how now how would a bigfoot allow a human to sneak up on them is it because they allowed the bigfoot allowed the human or the hunter to yeah. sneak up on them Yeah, you know,
1: I, I guess it all depends on the whole scenario of the story Um, there are a possibility that a lot of them are, the people are just storytellers and they're just kind of yanking their chain a little bit there. Um, you know, there's always going to be those, those hoaxers, um, you know, you know, with all the currency $20 bills we have there, we got out there in circulation. There's a few counterfeit ones out there too. So that's something you need to be aware of. And as far as someone actually sneaking up on one, um, I, I guess that we're, you know, you look at the the area and topography of the area. Was it was it near a, a stream where the river was flowing so loud that it was actually drowning out any sound? Was the wind blowing in a direction that was against their favor? Um, you know, these are all certain variables that you need to consider. Um, maybe the thing just wasn't paying attention because, after all, they're human too. They make mistakes just like us people do. So I mean, you
2: know, yeah. I think I a lot of times you actually. I think a lot of times also you 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 hear maybe that. It might be a hunter in a in a tree stand or or an area where these things are hunting and focused on, on the prey, and they might wa- wander into their into the area focused on, on their target. Or other times yeah. you might hear that they're standing there. They they did have the the human fold, but maybe they either moved one second uh, you know too soon and and the human caught them out of the peripheral, or or maybe they they're holding a, a juvenile and the juvenile gives a, their their you know, them away, but they're capable of standing so perfectly still and, and seeming right. so camouflage with yeah, their environment. Yeah. And and about that, a, a lot of times we get hunters
1: telling stories about them being up in deer stands and having sightings of these creatures. That actually makes a lot of sense because when you're that high in elevation, you really are getting your scent up off the ground where they can no longer smell you anymore. And if you're sitting there in your deer stand and you're completely motionless, you're not making any noise, well, they're probably not going to hear you. Um, and if you're really camoed up and you're you're camouflaged into that tree, well, there's a good chance they might not even see you. Now, when they tell stories of this creature, well, it walked right past me, well, either A, it knew you were there and just didn't give a shit about you, or B, maybe you actually did pull, pull, pull that one off and they didn't even know you were there. So, you know there's there's different possibilities behind that so sure yeah absolutely
2: yeah I think so and I think also sometimes they are tracking the human and you know they might be either curious or 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 just wanting to make sure that they follow the the person to make sure that they've either left their territory and and there can be there can be missteps in that in that way as well so I, I think it's you know ultimately though for, for the most part it's, it's it's it seems pretty hard to pull one over on on these things um and they're you know they they seem to have a, a good idea of, of the distances to stay from people and um and uh and, and how to sort of avoid you know it, that that is a you know like you said before this is a part of their survival so you know th- their survival uh is all about you know, not, not getting caught by us and not getting, you know, and not, not letting us get, get onto them. So um, uh, did you want to touch on, on some of the, uh, um, I'm sorry. sorry,
0: I was going to just say, Alex, I'll touch on what you were kind of getting at for a minute. Um, It was, you know, we got to think of it like this, where if, if we can somehow, creep up on a Bigfoot, whether like like what Jason was saying, like how loud was like maybe a river or the water flowing or the wind or something that would make the Bigfoot not hear us coming. But also we got to look at how ancient are these things? How much knowledge is there? Because, I mean, they got to be wicked intelligent to the point where can humans like us even outsmart something like Bigfoot? No, we cannot. We can't even come close to it. And, you know, it's just one of those things of how much knowledge does one of these type of things or creatures have? Right.
2: And how arrogant are we to think that we already have the knowledge of everything that's out there? I mean, there's a, there's an element of arrogance on our end, uh, especially, oh, you know, people. Yeah, that to think that we are we've mastered everything and that we know about everything and that there's nothing left to discover.
1: Yeah, exactly. and you know as a part of that is that humans and scientists are so arrogant. They think that a piece of paper that tells them they have a 6-year, a 8-year degree or what have you, they think that they have all the answers and they know everything there is to no. know. Well, I'm calling bullshit on those guys because you know, you look at the uh, the giant squid. Everyone thought they existed only in Hollywood until one of them washed up on shore. Um, you have the giant coelacanth fish, um, mm-hmm. which was thought to be extinct millions of years ago until a fisherman caught one off the coast of South Africa back in the 1930s. Um, right. We don't even know what's on the, bo- on the bottom of our ocean floor, and yet they're going right. to say we know everything that, that, li- that lives in our woods? No. You know, right. Consider this. I mean, science is still in its infancy age. You know, if I was to put a, a an age on it, I would say science is the equivalent to a five year old kid these days. There's so many things out there that we just have not discovered yet and we don't know. And it it's foolish, arrogant, and stupid, all all into one, for someone to come along and say, No, they don't exist. If they did we would have had one by now. Well, I think that time is coming. It's just a matter of, of when and where. I mean, you look at the the giant great white shark. I mean, for years we knew they existed. We've had video footage of it, and you know, Jaws kind of made you afraid of going into the water. But you know, for years we were not able to capture one because of their sheer size. Well, now we do have them. So you know, with with Bigfoot, right. we're just not there. We're not there just yet. But there or will be a day where where that
2: will, will that will happen. <laughs> Sorry, and sorry to cut you off, but yeah, even going uh, another step is the the story about the panda, which was, I mean, that was not that was an animal that, that was was incredibly elusive yeah. for no good reason other than the fact that we we couldn't get to it, um, and 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 I mean, there was no good reason, but like a, a panda that's not remotely as intelligent or or as as uh, hard to spot as as a uh, as a creature like this. Um, Absolutely, and yeah. you know when you, when you're dealing with the panda bears. I mean,
1: not to insult their species, but they're as stupid as a bag of hammers, and they're not evading humans. They're just living their lives as as panda bears. It, it took sixty years for for a research group to capture one and and bring it into public and say they do exist. Here you go. The first research group gave up after after thirty years, and they called it quits. When their second generation picked in, and they said, "We'll take over from here." and eventually they captured one. Now, what does this all prove? It proves that us humans, we cannot hack it in their environment. You know, we can't live right. in the woods without without our, um, our our medical equipment. We can't live in the woods without the, you know, the, the daily necessities that we have today. We can't do that. Now, today, with our technology, can we capture a panda bear in the woods? Absolutely. We, nowadays, we have helicopters. We have thermal imaging cameras. We have um, elite military groups that are more trained and more advanced and in weaponry and more hunting abilities we know a lot more than we did back in the in the 1800s but back then that just proves that we you know humans cannot live in their environment indefinitely
2: and the panda bears has a- actually proved it to us absolutely absolutely yeah and and there's and and taking one more step is is that our scientists seem to refuse to look at the evidence that that is there. It, it, there's overwhelming amounts of, of evidence currently that that could help classify the species as is, and there's there seems to be a a global refusal to just even look at it. They're not acknowledging the evidence. They're not debunking it. They're just not acknowledging it.
1: No, because it it's basically is sheer ignorance and I can understand up to a certain point because if you look at the Bigfoot world, the Bigfoot world is basically a world full of hate where everyone is totally fighting against each other, and, you know, there's always always these people that call themselves researchers where they're always out to belittle one another, and, you know, it's easy to say something negative about someone, and and it's hard to say something about them positive, and these, these attacks are endless. And when a scientist comes along and sees all of that stuff from the outside in, why would they want to get involved? You know, I don't blame them.
2: Right, it's true. Although it it, it does, it, it it's shocking to me that that someone like you know Jeff Meldrum could be ignored for as long as he is, or 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 or, or Dernagel, like people like that who 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 just you know it 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 amazes me that yeah, men as respected as that could could have you know the the scientific world sort of just snicker at them and and act like these these guys you know I, they they clearly know what they're talking about. Uh, but they're, they're, they're treated, you know, and and are respected in so many senses up until you get to the topic where then they're just sort of a, a shrug and a, well, you know, that's just sort of their, their, their little, uh, their little idiosyncrasy, their little, uh, their little quirk. Uh, uh, It's, 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 it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. And, uh, you know, um, so yeah, it's,
1: yeah, you know, I, I give those guys a lot of credit because they actually risk their own reputations by stepping forward and, and going public and saying, these creatures do exist, here's the evidence to, to prove it. And uh, F. Meldrum is another one. People, you know, they said, wow, really? And the uh, the, the guy, I think his name was um, Grover Krantz, he passed away back yeah. in the early 90s. Um, he actually, he he ruined his own reputation by coming forward and saying that these creatures exist, basically right. just by simply presenting the truth to the general public. Um, right. He lost his job ev- eventually at one point because of that. And, right. you know, so now, you know, people are a little bit more you know, in tune with that. Whereas, you know, nowadays, well, nowadays it's not so bad anymore because we're starting to come together and people are starting to actually have more of an open mind and saying, well, you know, maybe these things do exist. I mean, there's all of these people coming out and presenting all sorts of evidence. We have everything else out there except a body. So maybe some of this does look in, you know, look to our favor that we should, you know, investigate the matters most. Now, a lot of these scientists believe it or not will not you know, they will not actually tell you that they believe in it they will not confirm anything but behind closed doors they actually do research these things on their own right so that's that's well something to keep in mind
2: right well i mean it, I, it, any any it's it's hard to imagine anybody with you know any level of intelligence looking at the actual evidence that exists today and not and and denying and, and saying that this all could have been hoax, that this number of credible witnesses, this number of footprints, that, you know, even the, even the, the Patterson Gimlin film that has never been and can't be debunked because if you look at it, there's no possibility that that could have been hoaxed. It's just that these things that, uh, you know, that there is, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, there's overwhelming, and, and, and there is hair and DNA, you know, and scat and, blood that exists and uh there's just a there's just an unwillingness to classify and um until until they have to until they're forced to um but like you said and you know the the scientific community laughed at the idea of a panda they laughed at the idea of a gorilla they laughed you know it's it's uh you know until it was forced until they were forced to acknowledge it um
0: and that's what's so, going to keep going on with this subject until somebody brings one out to the public. We're going to laugh about it and call us crazy until we actually, what do we bring it into the light and say, yes, look, these exist.
1: Yeah, and um, I, I think that, you know, until that happens, we um, people are still going to continue to make jokes about it. They're still going to be, you know, printing tabloid magazine issues of it, and there's still going to be, you know, all sorts of... Crazy people saying that I gave birth to big baby, or they, they, or they have their, you know, all sorts of crazy nonsense out there. So we need to really take matters seriously and start investigating it. And and and, but uh, like I said, and I keep on saying this, the only way it's going to solve this mystery is with a body.
2: Can you touch a little bit on uh, so? Uh, you do have a, a a portion of your book that does uh, look into the other crypto uh, um, phenomena, uh, if you will. Um, what what is your take on on some of the non Sasquatch? Uh, uh, because it you know it's it. I think for for those who may be on the line or who 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 believe not necessarily know but believe in in Sasquatch based off of evidence, it might be harder to sort of wrap their heads around some of the other sightings and reports and, and uh, of some of the phenomena out there. Um, can you touch on some of that? Well, one of the creatures that I mentioned in the book was the uh, the, the
1: infamous champ monster in, in our lake. Um, <clears throat> um, that, we've been theorizing that it's nothing more than just a plesiosaur. Now, there are people out there that Again, they're not going to believe it, and yeah, you know, that that's fine, all well and good. But uh, when we look at the evidence and we look at the sightings and we talk to the eyewitness people that that describe these creatures, it it sounds to me like it matches that description of a uh, plesiosaur, which is a amphibious dinosaur that that actually once roamed the Earth. Now, the the question in general is how did something like that survive the Ice Age when all the rest of the large mammals died off well the answer to that is this was a water animal the land animals are the ones that perished and didn't survive now somewhere around 65 million years something hit our planet and caused a a large long-term ice age now if you look at any kind of marine life such as sharks alligators they've been around since the dinosaurs and they survived simply because they're water animals Um, there are certain bird species that we've figured out that 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 survived the uh, the Great Ice Age too. So you know, there are animals out there that did survive that. Now, this creature Champ, we think that may it may have evolved over the years, and now it has the ability for for echolocation. Now we thought only um dolphins had that ability. Well, we're starting to think that maybe this creature does too. Um. So that's an example of that. Another species I talked about in the book was uh, thunderbirds. You know, basically they're just large birds. Now that's not necessarily to say that these were pterodactyls, but um, I think that they are large birds because the large um, California condor bird has a, had a wingspan of over twelve feet. So, is there a bird out there that's that's larger than that? Well, that could be. That could very well be. You know, what I mean. I'm not going to say there is or there isn't, but I, I'm i just keeping an open mind is that, you know, the possibilities are out there.
0: See, and the, and that's what I'm going see. You just brought up the most perfect thing right there, Jason, is open mind. You have an open mind to think that there's these things or creatures are out there where others can't even accept the fact that there could be things beyond what they already know. And once you bring something that they swear should not even exist to their attention, and if they see it, they just... They can't believe it. Like, they can't even accept it or anything. You've got to have an open mind. Because we, we really... I, what have to talk yeah. About.
1: And I can't stress that enough. Because when dealing with with the unknown topic, you really, really need to keep an open mind. Because... Just when you close your mind and you think you know everything, that's right around the time when when you really don't know much of anything. And when I got into this the whole crypto case, I had a uh, a person tell me he's a respectable crypto person. He said, "You know, the more you know, the less you'll understand." And I think <laughs> he actually hit the bullseye on the target with that one.
2: Absolutely.
0: Unfortunately, listeners, this is where the interview has to stop for right now for part one. Unfortunately, Jason ended up disconnecting due to cell phone service, but... He will be back for part two. This is not over. And we probably could have talked for another hour. T- not, um, I mean, there's so much we can talk about with this type of category. We were going to go into some Dogman. So stay tuned for part two as we talk about the infamous Dogman. And more about his book and upcoming project that Jason can share and story. So I hope you will stick around and enjoy what we have to offer you next time and until then stay scary everybody